Thank you, praise team, for shepherding us in God's Word. Eric, thank you for doing that. Well, welcome this morning to Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. Um, if you did not get um, the two books, one for the children and one for the adults that we gave out during our Easter service, or if you're visiting with us today, please, by all means, reach out to Ryan Chan or myself. We would love to get a copy of those into your hands. Um, also, this afternoon, we have our Cornerstone Ministry via Zoom, and uh, our topic this afternoon will be on uh, God's gospel provision for conflict resolution. God's gospel provision for conflict resolution in all our relationships. So whether you're married or you're not, I guess maybe it's only the married folks who have conflicts, right? Well, whoever does have any conflicts with anyone, co-workers or whatever, we're going to address that uh, this afternoon and uh, premaritals. For the many of you who are going to get married this year, church body, let's be praying for them. And what a joy and celebration. We probably have around five couples, I believe, who will be getting married this year. So they need your prayer and I need your prayer through this process. And for you all, um, if you have any questions... Please email them to Cindy in advance, and after uh, we go to the main discussion in Cornerstone, we'll take some time to answer whatever questions you have. And if I get no questions, I assume you have no conflicts and your life is perfect. Well, this has been yet another horrific week in America. We witnessed yet another horrific and I say horrific mass shooting this past week. It's one of several, depending on how you count mass public shootings. There have been many over the last few weeks. And we grieve as a church and we pray for our nation and for the families of the victims. Four of whom were yet again Asian Members or Asian Americans and members of the Sikh religious community. And I bring that up because we in Silicon Valley have a large number of residents who are Sikh and part of the Sikh community. I had the privilege of going through medical school and also uh, to worship at church with those who had come out of the Sikh community or who are part of the Sikh community. They are our neighbors. And though... We do not agree with their faith, that there are many paths to God. We're called to be good Samaritans, and we're mindful of the God-breathed words of Romans 12.15, that we are to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but we're also to weep and grieve with those who are weeping and grieving. And we're also mindful of the God-breathed words of 1 Timothy 2.4, that the God of the Bible is the God who desires all people, including Sikhs, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth which they do not have. What a mission field, brothers and sisters, we have here in Silicon Valley. This wasn't part of my sermon, but a long time ago I prayed to the Lord that if He would be so gracious to allow me to minister in a church, that He would allow me to minister in a church that was close to a university, and a place where there was residents from all around the world so that we could begin the Great Commission. 
And we have that, brothers and sisters, here in Silicon Valley. You just look around and see your neighbors. You look around and see the temples. You look around and see almost every faith and religion and tongue and race is here on our doorstep. God has brought the mission field to us. And it's His desire that all people would be saved and come to know the truth. And what is that truth, brothers and sisters? Well, it's a truth that you and I have. It's the truth that there is salvation and forgiveness of sins in no other name than Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's the truth that you have if you know Christ as Lord. And I say this because over the past year, many, many people, unbelievers as well as believers, in fact, I first heard this out of the mouth of a professional basketball player. Many believers and unbelievers alike have referred to these events that we've witnessed this past year, including the one this week, as a reckoning. What is a reckoning? A reckoning is a judgment or a settlement of accounts. A judgment or a settling of accounts. But what's often left out is this is a reckoning by whom? In our nation. And it's a reckoning for what? And for some, this is an alleged reckoning for systemic racism and inequalities in America. And for others, these events are a reckoning for the government's abuse of individual rights and freedoms. And for not putting America first and instead welcoming in immigrants from around the world and taking jobs that should belong to Americans. Now, I'm just echoing the words that are out there. These are not my opinions. But what few people care to consider as we discuss about the events of this past year, COVID, the protests, George Floyd, the mass shootings, which clearly are on the rise as we reopen. What few people care to consider is the reckoning and judgment of God's Word. That's one that we typically don't talk about. The reckoning and judgment of God's Word, which is a reckoning by God that holds all men accountable to His Word for what we have done with what He has given us. A reckoning that holds all men accountable to His Word for what we have done with what He has given us. And we recall Jesus' words, which I'm going to repeat to you over and over and over again in this sermon. To whom much is given, much is required. This, brothers and sisters, is the reckoning and judgment of God's Word. And it's the reckoning and judgment of Genesis 3, which we return to this morning, where the Lord God reserves His final and most severe and harshest Judgment and reckoning, not for the serpent, not for the first woman, but the one to whom he has given much, the first man. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis 3, verse 14. Genesis 3, verse 14. And we'll read through verse 19. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord, and it's the judgment of the Lord. Well, with these words, the Lord God shows us how different His justice and judgment is from the justice and judgment of the world. And it's something that we're seeing on a daily basis with the trial of Derek Chauvin that's going on and with the other trials that are taking place and the protests that are happening across our nation and in Minnesota. There's these cries for justice. There's these protests for the absence of justice or for injustice in America. And yet as we come to God laying out and showing to us His justice and His judgment, we see a very, very, very different justice and judgment. In fact, very few people cry or shout for this justice. In fact, this is, as you read the Scriptures, this is what separates the people of God from the world, the children of the Lord, from the children of the serpent or the devil. There's a cry among the people of God for the justice of God's Word, not the justice of the world. In fact, we sang about that this morning and we read about it in the Psalms and Eric shepherded us through that. We live in a world that at best, at the very best, seeks a justice that is built not upon a belief in God, but upon a belief in individual rights and freedoms. That's the justice, brothers and sisters, very often that we find ourselves seeking and pursuing and fighting for in our workplace, in the nation, in politics, on the streets, and quite frankly, in our churches. It's not fair. I did A, B, C, D, and E. Why do I not receive the same as the next person? We seek a justice that is built upon what we've earned. We seek a justice that is built upon what we feel we deserve, our rights and our freedoms. I should be able to say whatever I want to say. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. Those are my God-given, inalienable rights. It's in the Constitution. 
And sadly, many Christians embrace this same godless belief system and this same desire for a godless justice, even as we insist on fighting for our rights and our freedoms, be it the right or freedom of our speech, our guns, or our worship. But as we come to the God-breathed words of Genesis three fourteen through 19, as we, as we were shepherded this morning, gaze upon the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as He reveals His heart through His Word, the Lord God shows us His justice is not about protecting our individual rights or freedoms. His justice is about personally holding everyone accountable to His Word. For what we have done with the truth and grace He has given to each one of us. His justice is about holding everyone accountable to His Word for what we have done with what He's given to us. And very, what He has given to us. Very specifically, what has He given to us? He's given to us His truth and His grace. What have you done with it? And it's for this reason, brothers and sisters... Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. That, brothers and sisters, truth and grace, not rights and freedoms, and not works. Truth and grace is the economy of God's justice. Now, if you look at the justice system, you see this statue of a woman who's blindfolded. Justice is to be blind, and she has scales in her hands, right? The scales of justice. And as you go through God's Word, in the Proverbs, God uses the illustration of scales very frequently, of being weighed in the balance and found wanting. And in the old economy, you would go to a place and you would purchase something and they would have scales and you would weigh whatever your silver or gold. And they would have weights that would weigh to see how much money you were giving. And there was a standardized weight to see whether you had enough or not enough. Well, as we look at God's justice, there are scales And the scales on justice is not blind because God sees all our hearts. And in those scales, on the one hand, you have God's truth and grace. And in the other scales, we have our works. Yes, God does judge us by our works. We don't earn our way to heaven, but He measures what we do. And in that scale, what we have done is measured against what the Lord has given us, His truth and grace. And the final judgment, God will evaluate, brothers and sisters, our works. What did you do with what I gave you? And this is not something that's new, brothers and sisters. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And God is consistent all the way through, brothers and sisters, to the cross. And it's not legalism, brothers and sisters, because it starts with His truth and grace, what He's given. And to the first man, he has given his truth and grace in abundance, and he has given it to him first, because he is created first. And then the woman is created afterwards from Adam's rib. And so for that reason, the first man is judged last and held to the severest and most harsh judgment. For this reason... The Lord God holds that first man most guilty, most responsible, and most culpable in God's eyes. 
And in verse 17, the Lord God begins his judgment of the first man by graciously explaining what the first man is guilty of. What does he hold him accountable for? It's a beautiful thing about our Lord, brothers and sisters. He doesn't capriciously just throw us into an oven. He explains through his word exactly what we are guilty of. He says to the first man, Because, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Now, at first glance, it's easy to suggest that the Lord God is simply holding the first man accountable for listening to his wife. And we can make this all about gender roles, and we can make this all about the failure of male leadership in the family, and those are there in the text, without doubt. But that's not the big point, brothers and sisters. Such an interpretation and application misses the context And the care of God's word that shows us very simply, the Lord God holds all men accountable for not hearing and obeying his word. Can I have my first slide, please? This is our first point for this morning. The Lord God holds all men accountable for not hearing and obeying his word. Brothers and sisters, God's judgment of us, his judgment of America, his judgment of the nations, his judgment of the world... His judgment of our leadership, his judgment of my pastorate, it's very simple. It's not rocket science. It's extremely simple. He holds each one of us accountable for what we've done with what he's given, with his word. Have we heard it? Have we listened to it? Have we obeyed it? Or have we ignored it and disobeyed it? It's very simple, brothers and sisters. It's not complicated. And sadly, we make these things complicated by and large, because we blame shift and make excuses and we turn it into what my old pastor referred to as scrambled eggs. We mix it all up. But here, the Lord God with Adam makes it very simple. And as we consider the context of Genesis 3.17, the Lord God shows us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 very clearly, the first word spoken and the first voice heard in all creation belongs to who? Not the first man, not the first woman, not the serpent. It belongs to the Lord God. He speaks the world into creation. It is His voice that transforms the null and void. And it's to the Lord God Himself, His word and voice, that creates everything good, brothers and sisters. His words, not ours. And in Genesis 1 and 2, the first voice and the first word the first man hears is whose? It's the Lord God. In Genesis 2.15, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Personal, loving, caring, gracious, and given to the first man. But as we come to Genesis 3, 1 to 6, instead of listening to and following the voice and the word of his creator. To whom does the first man lend his ears? And to whom does he lend his heart? You can say it. This one's a freebie. Well, he, he does 
To who? He, he listens to the words and voice of the first woman. Those are the words and voice he chooses to follow rather than the voice and words of God. And in verses 1 through 6 of Genesis 3, who does the first woman, whose words and voice does she listen to first? Well, you can say it. It's the serpent. So ultimately here, what we're seeing, okay, with the first man and God holding him accountable, you're listening to your wife. Well, where he's really going is, look, you have chosen to listen to the devil's lies rather than the clear word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, whenever we do not listen to the voice and word of the Lord, I don't care who else you're listening to, your co-worker, your friend, your spouse, the news, whenever we listen to that rather than the word of the Lord, and it leads to a path that is contrary to the word of the Lord, you are ultimately listening to the world, to the ruler of the world, to the prince of darkness, to Satan. It's as simple as that. There's only two voices at the end of the day. The word of the Lord, his truth and grace, or the devil's lies. Take your pick. And when we come to Genesis 3.17, the Lord God does not simply say to the first man, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, therefore you're cursed. He also adds... Because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. And he connects these two. We have it up here on our overhead. He connects these two statements. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, because you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. He connects these two choices and actions, listening and doing, with the conjunction and. And this conjunction... And is present in both the original Hebrew and in the English translation. A conjunction, by definition, joins together or unites two words or two phrases, which are to be used and which are to be understood as one thought. They're connected. You cannot separate and take one and not the other when that and is there in the middle. And it's in this way the Lord God... The very words and grammar that are used by the power of the Holy Spirit in the original language, the Lord God shows us the connection between who and what we listen to and what we do. Who and what we listen to and what we do. There's a connection, brothers and sisters. There are not random accidents. Oh, it was a mistake. Whether it be the stocks that we buy, whether it be the career that we choose, whether it be the courses in college that we sign up for, whether it be the house that we purchase, the city we live in, the schools we send our children to, every action, brothers and sisters, is connected to the word and voice we listen to and serve. Now, we cut those ties so that we don't have to take responsibility for our actions and our mistakes. But here, the Lord God holds the man accountable. What you did and who you listened to.
And clearly, for the first man, he was not listening to the voice and the words of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are either listening to the lies of the devil or we are listening to the truth of God's word. Julie overhears me frequently counseling. And I'll let you all know before you come to see me and when you share with me your burdens and concerns. From time to time, I'll just say to you, listen, I'm just going to exegete the same we do our exegesis sheet, what I hear you saying. And I'm just letting you know. Context, repeated words, phrases that come up over and over again. I'm just going to sound it back to you because Jesus says out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And I just want you to hear what I'm hearing. Have I got it wrong? I just want to let you know because this is the story that's unfolding. This is what I'm hearing. This is what it sounds like. And brothers and sisters, we all need people to do that for us. Praise God. Julie does it for me from time to time. Mark, do you know that you sound angry? Do you know that you sound upset? How is this in keeping with the gospel? Praise God for that. We need people to speak into our lives, brothers and sisters. We need to listen to what we say and how we think. Because it reflects who ultimately we're really listening to. And I would venture to say, brothers and sisters, more often than not, praise God for the local church. Many times, if we were to hear ourselves speak, we would cringe. Because it shows that the one we're listening to are the devil's lies. It's not your fault. You're no good. This is terrible. It's never going to get better. God doesn't love you. Why are you suffering the way you are? Why did they do this to you? The list goes on and on and on and on. And brothers and sisters, to a great degree, it's because our lives are filled and saturated with so much of the world, from our media to our entertainment to our activities to our work. And we step back and say, really, who are we really listening to? Who, who has our ear? Spouses and those who are married, you know that statement. Who has your ear? Does your spouse have your ear? We're either obeying God's word, brothers and sisters, or we're obeying the lies of the devil. And we obey the master we serve and we listen to. And that, I believe very much, is the point of what God is holding the first man accountable for, for not listening to and obeying the word of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, in the final judgment, but even in this life, this is the very thing that the Lord is going to hold each one of us accountable to. It's not how much you served at church. It's not how much you did. At the end of the day, did you hear my word? And did you do it? Did you forgive the person who has been unkind to you? Did you pray for the person and bless them who has been difficult in your life? Did you... Love the Lord, and did you love your neighbor as yourself? Did you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and did you repent and turn to Him as our only means of forgiveness and salvation? Well, in Genesis 1 and 2, the Lord God shows us why the first man's not hearing and obeying God's Word warrants the severe condemnation we just read in verses 17 through 19. It is because... The first man's refusal to hear and obey God's word reveals what the first man really thinks of the Lord God and the gift of his word. 
And this brings us to our second point this morning. Our second point this morning. The Lord God holds all men accountable for the gifts of His Word. The Lord God holds all men accountable for the gifts of His Word, and this includes the gift of God's Lordship, the gift of God's life, and the gift of God's love. These are the things that God has given to the first man through His Word. He's given His Lordship, He's given His life, and He's given His love. And He's given it to all, all of these things to the first man through His Word. And He holds the man accountable for this. Brothers and sisters, what we give someone reveals much about who we are. What we give someone reveals much about who we are. We're Asians. We know what that's like, right? We know about giving gifts and honor and shame and what that represents the household, on and on. But what we give someone reveals much about who we are. And what we give someone reveals much about who that person is to us. It works both ways. The giving of a gift. It reveals something about the giver, but it also reveals something about the one to whom we give that gift. And brothers and sisters, what we do with the gifts that are given to us, what we do with the gifts that are given to us, reveals much about what we think of the giver. Now we've got a grip of engaged couples in our midst. And men, how much time and effort did you spend in looking for that ring? Right? Oh, you never gave me a ring. No, because that woman is who God set you apart to be your helper fit for you and to serve you. And that's the one flesh and not after Jesus needs to be, after Jesus, the most important person in your life. You have to treat them like yourself, right? That's, that's a special person. So you're going to spend time and effort. But what would happen after that great engagement party, and you give that ring, and you hand it over, and you get down on one knee, and everybody comes, and so on and so forth, and you know the Instagram and the Facebook at the end of it, you know... The one you've given that ring to takes the ring off and puts it in a drawer. Never to be worn again. Honey, why don't you wear that ring? What does it say about what she thinks about the ring? What does it say about what she thinks about you, the person who gave that ring to her? Or picked that ring out for her? What we do with the gifts God gives us, speaks volumes about what we think about God and our relationship with Him. And in Genesis 1 and 2, the Lord gives the first man the most precious and priceless gift of all. He gives him His Word. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And this is the same Word that created the universe out of nothing. Through His Word. And through His Word, the Lord God gives to the first man His Lordship. God's rule, His authority, His protection, His provision. He belongs to me. Don't touch Him. And through His Word, He gives the first man His life. He even gives this man, through that life, His very own image and likeness. 
unlike the rest of creation. This, brothers and sisters, not our rights and freedom. This is what makes man special. The image and likeness of God. Black, white, red, yellow. Through His Word, He gives the first man His love. He gives the very fellowship of God. And, of course, in addition, He gives him a home, He gives him a job, He gives him a helper fit for him, and He creates a garden in which the Lord's love and fellowship resides and is present. And He speaks to the first man. And the way someone would speak with a friend. Brothers and sisters, that's fellowship. Right? There's many ways you can hate a person. You can hate a person by throwing stuff at them, but you can also hate a person by not speaking to them, giving them the silent treatment. Through His Word, God gives the first man three precious gifts. He gives His Lordship, His life, and His love. And they are never separate from His Word, brothers and sisters. And maybe that's why we play fast and loose with God's Word, because we want some of it, but we don't want all of it. And these three gifts are on display in the command the Lord God gives to the first man in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. You can look there in your Bibles. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, that's lordship, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. More lordship. Okay, Adam has rule over the garden, and he can pick whatever he wants to choose to eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And here we see God's Word provides protection for the life and love He has given to the first man. You go down this path, you break my command, you break this Word, our relationship, our fellowship will be destroyed. Premaritals, you don't listen to your spouse and you do contrary to what they ask, I can tell you it's not going to be a sweet relationship, right? It's not rocket science, okay? But we have a hard time doing it. Church family, by extension, what's the nature of the relationship when you don't listen to your elders or your discipleship group leaders and it's all whatever, Thanks for the advice. See you later. I'll let you know after I've got the job, the house, the friends, and all the other things. What does it say about that relationship? Well, in addition to his lordship, life, and love, we see the Lord God also through his word gives that first man a home, a job, a helper fit for him. And the Lord God showers his truth and grace and his love on that first man. And through these gifts, he shows us who God is. God alone is the giver of his lordship, life, and love. And he also shows the first man who and what he is. That first man, and by extension the first woman who comes after, they are the beloved creations and children of God. God does not give those gifts to the animals. He does not give those gifts to all the other creatures. It's very, very clear that the first man, and by extension the first woman, who he is one flesh with, they're special in the eyes of the Lord. They are his beloved. And 
And in Genesis 1-2, God makes it very clear. These precious gifts that He gave to the first man were not given for the first man to keep them, to hoard them, or to exploit them for his personal gain. Be fruitful and multiply. The lordship, the life, and the love of God's Word were given to the first man to give and share and to provide care for the wife and the world God had given to the first man. They were to be given away. They were to be shared. And he was to give to others as he had received from God, the Creator. That was his responsibility. It's also worth noting, and this is a side note, everything the first man needed to love, to lead, and to enjoy his wife and his world, everything he needed to lead, to love, to enjoy that creation, and especially the helper fit for him, God had given that first man through his word. What does he need in order to lead his wife? What does he need in order to make her happy? What does he need in order to protect her? He needs God's lordship. He needs God's life. He needs God's love because he doesn't have it. And God has given all that to the first man through his word. Implication. You don't have God's word. Men, how are you going to lead your home and your children? Ladies, if you don't have God's Word, how are you going to help your husband lead? Church body, if you do not have the Word, how are you going to pray for your elders and your pastor? Church leaders, if we do not have God's Word, how can we hope to minister to sinners who are broken by the ugliness and darkness of this world. We can't. But the beauty of our God and the greatness of His good news is that, brothers and sisters, everything we need to enjoy the Lord and enjoy one another and to carry out the responsibilities God has given to us through His Word. Now, men... I'm picking on you today. Father's Day is a long way off, but you're near and dear to my heart. If this is true, how can we lead our homes and our families when we're spending 60 to 80 hours on the job and 10 minutes a day, if we're lucky, reading His Word? When that's the case, brothers and sisters, who or what is leading our homes, our families, our spiritual lives, and our worship? You do the math. The Lord God is going to hold us all accountable, brothers and sisters, for what we have done with what He has given us. To whom much is given, much is required. What do we do with the gifts of God's Word, especially when He has spoken into our lives? And what we do with God's Word, brothers and sisters, and how we handle it and what we do with it speaks volumes about what we think about God and our relationship with Him. John MacArthur makes this point. 
He makes the point that how we handle the word of the Lord reveals what we think about God. Brothers and sisters, what is our time in the Word and our obedience to the Word, both of them, our time, not just our time, but our obedience to the Word of God, what does it say about what we think about God? Well, here in Genesis 3, the Lord God holds the first man accountable for what he has done with the gift of God's Word. And throughout Scripture, the Lord God's justice and judgment always comes down to this, what we have done with the gift of His Word. Did we hear and obey, or did we ignore and disobey? And this is the line that separates those who love the Lord from those who love the devil. Ooh, Pastor Mark. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 6, 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Deuteronomy 6.4 is referred to as the Shema. That's the Hebrew word for here. And it is the definitive creed and confession of the Old Testament saints. And among Orthodox or religious Jews, the Shema is recited two times a day. A creed and confession to remind them who their God is and who they are. And it begins with a command. Hear, O Israel... The command is to listen to the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And these words, brothers and sisters, they summarize and set apart the entire Old Testament and the people of God. It is the standard and the test by which God judges His people. Did you hear my word? Were you listening? Did you love me with all your heart, mind, and soul? Did you keep my word as something special and separate and more precious than anything else in the world? Did you teach these to your children? And did you share them as your greatest heirloom and treasure? And then when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, brothers and sisters, this is your homework. You know I love to give homework. Go read Deuteronomy 29 and 30 this afternoon. And you will see God's covenant curses and His blessings. And God's call to the people to choose life. How? By hearing and obeying His Word. And basically, He unfolds His justice and His judgment. Did you hear what I said? And did you do it? And did you teach it and faithfully pass it on to others? Blessing. Did you ignore it? Did you disobey it? And did your children never see it in your life? Curse. This is God's justice system in Deuteronomy. That's His framework for justice and judgment. And the testimony of the Old Testament is that the nation of Israel, except for a small remnant, chose not to hear and observe His Word. 
And then we get the books of the prophets where they come and they beg the people, listen, 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 repent, repent, repent. He is still the same God who spoke these words. Turn from your sin and listen to the Lord. Hear what He has to say. Obey His word. Or else His justice and judgment will come upon you. For what? For not hearing and obeying and teaching His word. That's a short summary of the Old Testament prophets. And what's the outcome of that, brothers and sisters? They ignore, 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 ignore. And what's the outcome? God finally keeps His promise after He's waited for them to repent. And He brings judgment. And He destroys the temple. And He casts the people out of the promised land. Does that sound familiar? It's just a replay of what happens in the Garden of Eden. You are banished from the life and the lordship and the love of God. That is the consequence of not hearing and obeying God's word and rejecting his lordship, his life and his love. You want that, you're going to get it. And now you're going to fend for yourself. And you're going to see what living in a world where there are anywhere up to 28 shootings in a month. As one tally says, for people who are more than four, more than four people who are shot, You want that? You will have that. This is a world that has rejected the Word of God and has rejected His life, His love, and Lordship and said we can do better on our own. And so it comes down to this, brothers and sisters. How do we handle God's Word? Do we hear and obey? Or do we ignore and disobey? It's not uncommon when believers get into a sticky situation and there are counseling sessions and we talk about these things and we come to the word of the Lord because it's very clear. He makes it very clear. And it's not infrequent that sometimes people will say to me, well, I didn't know that. I hadn't read that part of the Bible. Or we weren't taught that at church. And essentially what's happening is More often than not, they're pointing at me. Pastor Mark, you didn't make it clear. Pastor Mark, you didn't teach. Pastor Mark, you're the reason I did this because I didn't know any better. You know, fair enough. God will hold me accountable, brothers and sisters. He will hold me accountable. My responsibility is to teach the whole counsel of God. He will hold me accountable. But, brothers and sisters, you have this had it for a while. We live in a time and era with media, online, on our phones. In the history of the church, which you'll read this summer, where there were those who were burnt at the stake for having a Bible, where there was not a Bible in their language, where they were uneducated or could not read. And you look at the history of the church and you look at what believers did with far less than what we have. Brothers and sisters, you have a Bible. Have you read it? If you have a Bible and God has spoken into your life and Jesus Christ is your Lord, none of us have any excuses. And if the best excuse we can come up with the Lord was, I didn't read it, Lord, or my pastor didn't teach me, you tell me what the Lord is going to say to you. 
when he looks over the history of time and we see, brothers and sisters, how much of the word we've been given. John MacArthur, John Piper, R.C. Sproul. He has poured upon us favor upon favor upon favor. What have we done, brothers and sisters, with what the Lord has given us? What have we done with His Word? Have we heard it? Have we obeyed it? And have we given it to others? Brothers and sisters, when God judges us, He's not going to judge us over our freedoms and rights. He's going to judge us about what we do with what He has given us. And this is especially true of His Word, and this is especially true of His Son, Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. Our final point for this morning is Christ Jesus is the living Word of God. He is God's gift of lordship, life, and love. Christ Jesus is the living Word of God. He is God's gift of lordship, life, and love. When Jesus of Nazareth appears, brothers and sisters, what is it that sets him apart from all the other prophets, priests, and kings of Israel who have come before? What sets him apart from Gandhi or Martin Luther King? Well, this morning, Kevin Al read for us from Mark 4. And in Mark 4.41, we're told that even the wind and sea obey him or obey his word. What type of a voice and word is that? Where even the natural elements of the universe obey His Word. I can talk till I'm blue in the face, and not much happens, brothers and sisters. But that's not Jesus. And brothers and sisters, if even the wind and the waters obey the Word of Christ, what about us? You and I. But what really sets Jesus apart, brothers and sisters, is what he does with God's word. Jesus rejects the lies of the devil, including when he is offered a kingdom and a life without suffering and pain. And Jesus perfectly and rightly and faithfully hears and obeys, not some of God's word, but all of God's written word. Even the word that calls for his rejection, his humiliation, his suffering, and his death, not for his own mistakes or sins, but for yours and mine. Brothers and sisters, is this how we handle the word of God? Is this how we handle hurt and injustice in our lives? Are we, like Christ, willing to suffer for someone else's sins in obedience to the Word of God? And in this way, Jesus shows us the real test of sonship, the real test of servanthood, is our love for God that is demonstrated through hearing and obeying His Word. And Paul points out in Philippians 2 
that Jesus, though he was equal with God, did not fight for his rights. He gave them up. And he became obedient to God's word, even obedient unto death. Brothers and sisters, what is it that sets Jesus apart as the Christ, the Son of the living God? It's his perfect love for the Father and for the Spirit. And it's his perfect love that is revealed in what he did with God's word. Not my will be done, Father, but thy will be done. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord God reveals to all, Jesus is the living word of God. He is God's gift of his love and his life and his lordship for sinners like you and I. Servants of the church, elders, leaders, are we willing to suffer to be obedient to God's word? Or when life gets hard, do we back off and put boundaries up and say, okay, that's it, I'm out of here. It shows what we think of God, his word, and it shows what our love for him is like. Now we all falter and we all fail. But that's why God sent his son, Jesus Because we need his life and we need his love and we need his lordship in order to hear and obey God's word. In and of ourselves, we cannot do it. That's why God sent his son. And the question God has by the time we get to the end of the New Testament, the question of God's justice and judgment is what have we done with the gift of his son? What have we done with the gift of the living Word of God? What have we done with the gift of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in His name? What have we done with the gospel? Have we heard it? Have we obeyed it? And have we shared it? Or is it just another piece and part of our life along with Netflix and our sports events? Throughout the Gospels, brothers and sisters... Jesus draws a line between a child of God and a child of the devil. Between those who have his lordship, his life, and his love, or those who have the lordship, life, and love of the world. And that line is based upon what we do with Jesus' words. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Are we listening to Jesus? And are we following Him where He goes? John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus, brothers and sisters? Show me through your obedience to His Word. You're not obeying His Word? You don't love Him. Let's be honest about it. And then let's go to Him and ask for His forgiveness, and turn from our sin, and cry out to the Lord, Lord Jesus, give me the love for the Father that You have, and that I do not. Matthew 28, 19-20, Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. We've got to give it away, brothers and sisters. It's not just for us in this church and not the neighbors and not the Sikh community and not anybody else who's out there. And, brothers and sisters, the best way we can give God's love away is by hearing and obeying His Word. We won't stop giving it away. It's not enough to hear a sermon. It's not enough to serve in the children's ministry. 
That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7.22, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Did we not serve in praise, children's ministry, logos, cornerstone? Did we not do all these things in your name? And then I will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then what does he say in verse 24? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Brothers and sisters, it's not rocket science. The test of whether we have a genuine saving relationship with Christ is the obedience of Christ's commands. Not some of them, all of them. Because you can't do it if Christ is not in your life and you don't love Him. And you go and you try and obey and you discover you can't do it. You can't do it. And that's when you begin to see you need the truth and grace of God. And you wake up like the prodigal son in the pigsty that you're in and you realize in my father's home even the servants are well fed. And you go and you begin to run and say, I will say to my father before heaven, I have sinned. And he wraps you with a cloak of righteousness. And he puts a ring on your finger. And he makes you a son again. So that you can enjoy the gift of his lordship, his love, and his life in his house. Brothers and sisters, that is Christ. And so it closes with, what have you done with God's gift? You all have received the gospel. You all have heard Christ. You all have heard his word. What are you doing with it? Don't say you love Jesus if you don't hear and obey his word and you don't share it with others. Instead, brothers and sisters, repent and turn to him and place your faith in him for the forgiveness of sins which he offers freely, so that you may walk in his righteousness, not your own. Now, thank you for listening to me. I'm going to close with a couple of applications in one minute, and we'll tie it up. But thank you for listening to me. Brothers and sisters, it's not hard, and it's not complicated, but it means everything. Are you saved or are you merely serving in the local church? Are you saved or are you merely serving in the local church? We need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. And brothers and sisters, for many of you, life has been hard this past year and you're struggling with things and you've been hurt and people have been unkind. But brothers and sisters, Jesus points out the remedy for this is coming to him. Hearing his word and obeying it. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you'll never understand. But it is as we obey his word, we walk in his love and we abide in him. And his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Parents, leaders, and servants, are we hearing and obeying God's word? It's not uncommon. People will come and ask at the church, do you have a men's ministry? No, we don't. Do you have a women's ministry? No, we don't. Do you have a children's ministry? We used to, but we don't. We were just at an elders retreat and we were talking about how to relaunch the children's ministries. No, we don't. But brothers and sisters, what we do have is we have the word of the Lord. 
And we have the gospel and we have Jesus Christ. And if that was enough for the disciples, and if that's been enough for the church that has been persecuted around the world in Muslim countries and in communist countries, did they have a children's ministry? Did they have a men's ministry? Did they have a women's ministry? Listen, I hope we get all of them. But brothers and sisters, our walk and our obedience does not depend on a men's ministry, a children's ministry, or a woman's ministry. The resurrection, brothers and sisters, is based upon a living word of God who heard and obeyed and loved even to the point of death. And it is he, Jesus Christ, who transformed those 11 disciples and created the church and transformed the world. Why? Because he is the one who is able to give us forgiveness of sins in his name and to transform us into those who hear and obey and share with others. Men of the church, there's a godliness crisis in the nation and there's a godliness crisis in the church. Let's not look to programs to save our children. The greatest demonstration of the gospel our children will ever see will not be in a Sunday school class, brothers and sisters, but their parents' marriage and the lives of their parents that they witness day in, day out in the home. And when they look at us, do my boys see the face of Christ and someone who hears and obeys the word of the Lord, even if it means being hurt in the local church, even if it means suffering, even if it means doing without a salary or a career? Is that what our children see? I named my first son Athan after Athanasius. He was known as the black dwarf and he was ridiculed. But he survived five exiles and the entire Christendom coming against him and pressuring him to say that Jesus is not Lord, not the Son of God. And when you go back into the history of that man's life, you see that he grew up during a time of persecution in the church and he witnessed his parents and his parents' friends and the community of the church suffering, being tortured, being put in prison for the sake of the gospel. He got more out of that, brothers and sisters, than a Sunday school or a children's ministry or a men's program. He saw the living word of God in the local church. And that prepared him to suffer for the sake of being obedient and hearing the word of the Lord. Choose this day who you will serve. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus... You are our treasure and our greatest prize. Everything we need, you have given us through your word. Thank you for it. Would we be a people who treasure it the way you do? In your name we pray. Amen.